so I didn't come by boundaries until I really began to look at my patterns and relationships. And what I came to realize how I discovered I had no boundaries is because everything I filtered through other people, mm. right? I never really stopped to define myself, whether it was my physical needs of my body, my emotional needs or my spiritual needs. And that's what a boundary is. It's a separation between me and you, which allows on the back end, because I believe that our goal as humans or our species in general is interpersonal. We're actually wired to be in relationships with other people. Mm. However, most of us need a level of separation so that we can safely identify and define and begin to meet our own needs so that when we're showing up to our relationships, we're showing up as our whole self, our authentic self. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobes, and I bet many of you listening to this are feeling stuck in some way, whether it's in your business, in your personal life, or in your relationships. And I'm sure you've been wanting to finally break free from your past and heal. I'm going to share a little secret with you. Even though your life isn't quote unquote chaotic, it doesn't mean that unhealthy patterns aren't holding you back from living your best life. Struggling to make change, self-sabotage, people-pleasing, addictions, constant feelings of anxiety, fear, and stress, toxic relationships, and feeling unfulfilled, these are all signs that you are stuck in living in the past. I got you thinking now, didn't I? I have been tracking down this person to get this interview for quite some time, and after hearing who it is, you will understand why. Her approach to healing is extraordinarily popular because of the way that it empowers people to have control over their thoughts, their emotions, and actions. Remember, healing and doing the work is a daily practice. It certainly isn't easy, and it takes time. There are plenty of tools that can help you on your journey, and she and I will discuss many of them. But please, remember that the goal isn't to implement these all at once. It's simply to start small and to begin to build new healthy habits one by one that will allow you to become your best self. Doing this will help you finally escape from the prison of your past so that you can be free to become the person you aspire. Many of you will recognize today's guest from her highly popular social media platform. Some of you may have participated in her self-healer circle or have reposted or have seen some of her viral content. I'm very excited that Dr. Nicole Pera, or as many of you know her, the holistic psychologist, is joining me on the show today. She is here to provide a masterclass on all things healing, including doing the inner work and holistic psychology. As a clinical psychologist in private practice, she often found herself frustrated by the limitations of traditional psychotherapy. Wanting more for her patients and for herself, she began a journey to develop a united philosophy of mental, physical, and spiritual health that equips people with the tools necessary to heal themselves. Her book, How to Do the Work, Recognize Your Patterns, Heal from Your Past, and Create Yourself is set to be released on March 9th, but is available now for pre-sale. 
Her book should undoubtedly be on your must-read list for the spring. We discuss why fitness can be a catalyst for change, why therapy alone won't heal you, how to stop feeling stressed and anxious when you have nothing to be stressed or anxious about, how to know if you've experienced trauma, and how to develop self-awareness and belief in yourself so that you can feel worthy and stop repeating old patterns, heal, and thrive. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Nicola Para to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Nicole, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me, Doug. Yeah, and I've been following your healing journey, your social media journey, and you've created quite a massive following over the years. And I think the one thing that I'll say just from studying you and following you and researching you myself, it's because you've been so open and authentic with your own healing journey and healing yourself that you wanted to kind of spread the love. And I've heard you share your story and talk about one of the things that inspired you to get into holistic psychology was the fact that in your clinical practice, you saw some missing pieces. You saw some of your clients just weren't getting better from just coming to see you once a week, or maybe you're in your own healing journey. But the one thing I really want to go down and go deep on is the role that fitness played, because it's all going to come back full circle in that there is this mind-body-soul connection, and you lived it and breathed it in your own journey. So talk a bit about the role that fitness played when you hit that, your dark night of the soul, I think you called it, and how it was the catalyst for you to want to you know, heal other areas of your life. For sure. So a little bit about me personally is I've been an athlete my whole life. I played actually softball through college. So I share that because fitness, working out right in my body, was very much a consistent part of life up through my college years. Yet in my training, in my clinical work, and obviously in my own personal healing journey, I talk a lot about my age-old, really, experience of anxiety. As long as I can remember, I identify very much as being an anxious human, the little girl, scared of bumps in the night, became the adult, imagining every worst-case scenario that could happen to her and her loved ones. But anyway, I say all that to say, fitness in my body and its athleticism was a side piece. However, when I was in my own treatment for anxiety and or in my own training to be the clinician in the room, the body was completely absent. We really do think about our mental world as separate from our physical body. And largely in the field, I think up until recently, that concept of soul that I heard you speak, that like indescribable thing is largely left out. So I share that to kind of acknowledge that I think a lot of us might have had relationships with physicality or with fitness in our bodies, but don't really understand how important it is for our mental wellness. So for me, in addition to having anxiety, Doug, as a lot of us do with the psychological issues such as anxiety and depression, I had a lot of physical issues that plagued me throughout my life as well. I had digestive issues. I had sleep issues. I had what we call brain fog, where I always just felt like I had a, a sheet over my head. All of my cognition was dulled. So I had a lot of the physical stuff, yet I, I didn't really understand how hand in hand both of those go until becoming frustrated, like you very kind of, you acknowledged my journey, becoming frustrated, really feeling ineffectual with my clients, with myself as well, and then having 
really some physical symptoms come to the surface where my memory issues really turned into forgetting my sentences mid-sentence and I started to and so for me what began as an act of panic I think I went online like a lot of us do (laughs) at this point to figure out like what is wrong with me like now these are big these are glaring issues they really feel like they're in my physical body why are they happening? When I went online at that point, my mind was blown, Doug, because what I learned was how important the physical body is, particularly stages of dysregulation, inflammation that you know is often on the heels of dysregulation, and how important really it is to be present to our physical bodies and its needs. So for me, that was eye-opening, realizing that I should care about this other half of my existence, which obviously then led me to begin to make new daily choices with how I took care of my body. That's incredible. And I think there's a couple things you touched on that I want to kind of expand on. I think the one thing is the, the importance of physical fitness and taking care of yourself. I was taught as a kid, I always was told that mental fitness and physical fitness go hand in hand. If one's off, then the other one's off. And I was like, yeah, 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 it's different. I can put this one in this box. I can put this one in the other box. And in reality, it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it, it is, it's absolutely 100% a fact that if you are feeling off mentally, physically, you're gonna feel off too. If you're feeling off physically, you're, you're gonna feel off mentally too. And I think there's four types of wellness, fitness, health, whatever you call it. I think there's your spiritual health. I think there's your mental health, your emotional health, and your physical health. And you can be, I think, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally healthy, but not physically healthy, right? You can probably go to therapy. You can meditate. You can practice conscious thoughts and self-awareness and journaling, do all these things. It's not going to guarantee you that you're going to have a healthy body. But if you have a healthy body, it enhances and pays dividends on all those, those other three areas of your life. It's such a powerful tool. And you hear a lot of people like yourself, like me, that needed to get on a healing journey, but didn't really know where to start. And when we started with our body, it gave us the self-confidence and self-esteem and awareness to know, wow, like I can do this. I can really help. And it's like, I, I really need to put my energy and focus on different modalities of healing instead of just the traditional talk therapy and going to see a therapist. I need to move my body. I need to meditate. I need to eat well. So when we talk about holistic psychology, and I think people might misunderstand this or may have misunderstood this in the past, and they may think it means not going to therapy and just doing everything on your own. And I think what you explain is that's not the case. It's in fact yeah, still go to therapy if you'd like to, but there's other things you need to be doing on a daily basis. So what what does holistic psychology mean to you and what does it entail for the people that want to partake in it? I appreciate you asking for clarity because I do see the word holistic getting thrown around now very, yeah. very frequently, but with a lot of differing definitions. So what holistic means to me is honoring the whole self. And again, mm. I am of the belief that we are all in a physical body. So we have the physical self. I agree that we have our emotional center as well and a spiritual essence. So what holistic means is honoring the fact that all of those parts of us are in communication with each other. So even the conversation you and I are having, why do we care about the body? How does it connect to the mind? Well, here's why we care. Because our brain, which houses the mind, is in communication with the rest of our body all day long. And it's not just a one-way communication. 
our body is in communication with our brain as well. So that's what I mean when I say holistic, it's honoring all of those interacting parts of ourself. And there's another deeper definition and beginning to explore what for many of us are the underlying causes of our symptoms. Whether you're like me and you're like, yes, I'm an anxious person, or maybe you're depressed, or maybe you struggle in relationships and you feel unfulfilled. I believe that all of those symptoms originate somewhere in some imbalance in that system that was learned usually at some very early time. And here's why I suggest that the work has to go outside of the treatment room. You will never hear me say, don't get support. Don't find the therapist. Don't have the community. Absolutely. You'll also hear me ask, what happens the other 23 hours of that day, the other however many hours of that week? Because I'm of the belief that there's underlying imbalances that we're living out on repeat, sometimes mm -hmm. unbeknownst to ourselves, outside of what for many of us is a very insightful therapy session or a great talk with our friend where we know what we're going to do differently this next time, yet we can't bridge that gap because those underlying imbalances we carry with us we react from our subconscious and we keep ourselves stuck. So just to be clear, holistic means mind, body, soul, and exploring the very real underlying drivers of a lot of our stuck points in life. I appreciate you saying that. And it's, it's so true as somebody who have, I've been open about my healing journey since I've kind of really started it. And that's the truth. I think you need to do things other than just going to therapy. When I was a kid and when I was a teenager, and I was just talking to a therapist and not moving my body and not taking care of my nutrition and not meditating and not focusing on goals and hanging out with the right people. I suffered because what would I do? I would spend an hour in a therapist's office and be like, all right, good. I'm done. I checked the box and I'll come back next week. My therapist would be like, so what'd you do this week? Did you do anything different? And I'd be like, no. And, and I'd be wondering why I was in the same rut because I think we're, we feel sometimes that our therapist can save us. Our, ther our therapist can fix us and we feel stuck. We literally feel stuck. We feel helpless and we feel disempowered. And I think what I love a lot about this notion you've created in a holistic psychology in your work is you give people power because I think once people feel empowered and they're like, okay, this might not be easy. It might be challenging, but it's up to me to do the necessary things to give me a chance to get better. And if I do these things, I'm probably going to feel better than if I do nothing. And before we get into the whole healing and your modalities on kind of rewiring the conditioning and getting unstuck, I want to talk about homeostasis. And this was real time for me. And my, one of the pinnacles of my healing journey was I was, remember I was in my therapist's office. This is probably, I don't remember the exact time frame. It was five or six years ago, something like that. And I was successful. I was making good money. I was fit. I hadn't been using drugs. Like life was good, but I kept getting anxious and stressed all the time. And I felt shame because I was like, why am I stressed? My life is great right now. Like, why am I anxious? And I had no idea what was going on. I felt helpless. And I said, why is this happening to me? And I was playing the victim and I kept going in the same cycle. I remember her saying to me, one of the best questions I've ever been asked. She's like, what was your childhood like? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, you're reverting back to your chaotic childhood, the way you grew up. Your body has this thing called homeostasis. So if your body is conditioned to be anxious and to be stressed out, no matter if things are good or not, you're going to always be pulled back there. And it's on you to be aware of that so that you can change. And I swear, even though like I wasn't fixed or healed or I hadn't even made a step in the right direction, I felt so relieved. Yeah. So I was like, wow, this is like the answer I've been looking for. This makes sense. Like, this makes sense. 
And it was from that moment on, I started giving myself grace, started giving myself peace and saying, you know what? Like I can move through this and it's not my fault, but it's my responsibility to walk forward in this. So talk about, maybe I butchered the definition of homeostasis. I don't know, but maybe talk about homeostasis and then how it relates to our previous patterns and conditioning and how that can show up with some of our struggles today. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that story. And it, I had a feeling hearing you say that because I think a lot of us do carry a lot of shame, yeah. um, especially those incredible moments of insight, right? Who kind of have the knowing better, right? And can't bridge that into shifting and changing. And very similar to you, where I was in life when my dark night of the soul, right? If you would have looked outside in, you too would have wondered what the hell was wrong with me. <laughs> I had the successful practice. I was, I yeah. could live in any city I want, right? I had the partner. I had all the things. So again, I think a lot of us internalize a lot of shame when we can't piece together actual or maintain deep rooted change. And so there's a very real reason you hear in my work, those who listen, I talk a lot about our physio physiology, right? Right down to how we're evolutionarily wired. Mm. And here's a universe, there's a universal reason why us as humans struggle to change. And it is located in our evolutionary biology because historically that which is new, right? The unexpected back in the days when, you know, our ancestors, where there was a threat around every corner, when we can't predict what comes next, we could find ourselves in a very physically even unsafe situation. So we are wired around a kind of a familiarity principle. The roads we trudge down, even if they were incredibly uncomfortable, as they are for many of us, they are the ones that are familiar to us. We quite simply, we know what happens next. And in our brains, whose main job is to keep us safe from that possible harm around that unknown corner, that is to be avoided. We love those familiar ruts in our mind. So we begin to develop our homeostasis, if you will, very early on in childhood, where many of our environments are drastically different than what they evolved to be in adulthood. Yet that homeostasis is memorized, to put it really simply, in our subconscious. And I, I share a very similar one to you having a lot of stress and anxiety in my childhood, I noticed I would do one of two things. Anytime I would have a moment that was stress-free, say I was either by myself or I was with my partner and nothing was really happening, one of two things would happen to me. Because that was so unfamiliar, my body had gotten so used to the adrenaline and the cortisol with that level of activation that what I began to observe in myself is I would either feel that agitation and have no place for it. I wouldn't know what would cause it. So I would get up and I, I say I would tick around. I'd clean my apartment. I'd be busying myself moving around. Or I would do it interpersonally. Before I knew it, what would come to mind is that look that my partner gave me that morning. That, you know what, now that I think about it, isn't sitting so well. And I'd snap my head around and, I mean, all jokes aside, now I'm in a conflict and I'm stressed out again. And time and time again, that was so confusing to me because all I desperately wanted, if you would have heard me speak, I'm a hippie at heart. I want peace, man. Yeah. I just want to chill. Yeah, yeah. Yet in that moment of chill, my homeostatic impulse, right? That pull, that, that chill felt so unfamiliar that I created the same stressful situation I was used to. And then if you repeat that by the decades that I was living in that, 
right? We understand how we remain stuck because stuck for us is familiar. Yeah. And I think our, our past conditioning and past patterning can show up in present day life, like self-sabotage or people pleasing or emotional addiction, which you talk about toxic relationships. And I think that one of the things that's really important for people to know is that maybe there's somebody who has started their healing journey and they're like, you know what, like I'm aware I've been doing the work to know that it's not easy and why it is a daily practice. Because if you think about it, if you were wired a certain way for just 25 years, for instance, and then you're on your 26th birthday, you're like, you know what, I'm, I'm aware, I've been following the holistic psychologist, I've been reading these books, I need to make a change. And then a week into it, you're noticing some of these patterns, try to pull you back to homeostasis. There's probably some people that are like, you know, what the heck, I thought this was supposed to be better, I'm going to quit and I'm going to go back. But I invite you to know that it's a challenge. It's not going to get, it's, you're never totally healed, right? I think in a way, people think that you get to the top of a mountain, you put a stake in the ground and that's it. I think the difference is how you handle situations becomes vastly different. You're more proactive and not emotionally reactive. You're able to have conversations with people you might not agree with. You're able to maybe rekindle things with your family, which I know, Nicole, you have done, you've recently talked about. And I think that's where you're making some progress is you're like, you know what? Like, I'm more happy. I'm having better relationships. I'm loving who I am with, without harming myself, whatever the case may be. So I think when people hear the word healing or they hear about doing the work, they think it's people who have had these traumatic experiences growing up, right? And I honestly misunderstood the term tra trauma until a few years ago. I thought trauma was just massive, chaotic things that happen. And in reality, the more we're, we're learning and coming to find out is that it's not. Trauma can be a lot of different things. Trauma can be if you're bullied at school. Trauma could be going through a, a tough breakup. Trauma can be isolation. It can be addiction. It can be a lot of things. And there's people that might say, well, I don't want to do any work. I don't need to do any work. Life's good. And they might be so unaware that they may have experienced trauma in their life. So how can people, maybe they're questioning after listening to this thing, maybe I have experienced some trauma. Like what are some ways people can know if they've gone through something that maybe has impacted them in a way that's showing up in a negative way today? If you ask those that know me best, what has been an ongoing struggle of mine, it's definitely been my sleep. I am sure many of you can relate to this. One small change I recently made is that I started taking magnesium breakthrough by Bioptimizers, which is the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium. I've taken lots of magnesium supplements throughout the last decade, and this one is rare and that it actually makes me feel relaxed when I take it. Listen, if you're having trouble falling asleep or staying asleep, one of the best things you can possibly do is start getting enough magnesium. But please do not run to the store to buy the first magnesium supplement that you find. Most magnesium supplements use only the two cheapest synthetic forms. That's why I recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. Simply take two capsules before you go to bed, and you'll be amazed by how much better you sleep and how much more rested you feel when you wake up. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug10 to save 10% when you try Magnesium Breakthrough. So go to www.magbreakthrough.com forward slash Doug now to get your exclusive 10% discount. Now back to the show. 
Yeah, I, I appreciate you speaking to this because you'll always hear me kind of acknowledge what I believe is is a need for an expanded definition of trauma. Because mm-hmm. I do believe we all carry wounding just from our experiences here in, in earth, often on societies that aren't natural for us as humans. I mean, everything from the the reality that many of us are living in very loud cities on top of other people with all different type of systemic issues mm-hmm. happening is very unnatural for us humans. So when I speak about this expanded definition and it catches a lot of people, I know some people are like, well, how can this many people carry trauma. And again, I think it's just a mismatch at its minimum between us and, and the lives we're living. And then obviously there's many other complications given the actual lived experiences that we have. So I was very similar to a lot of people who I didn't check many boxes of big, bad things that happened to me. I worked in my clinical practice with people who checked a lot of boxes of big, bad things that happened to them. And I couldn't help but see so many similarities in how we coped with it or in our patterns and relationships. So for me at first, it was again, another point of shame and confusion. Well, what the heck? I mean, here I am, I'm a doctor and I should know better. And I'm seeing these same patterns in the people that I'm supposed to help who actually had something bad happen to them. What the heck is wrong with me? So when I began to realize all of the other ways that our past hurts can be carried with us, I began to understand that a lot of us are captured into that. And again, the way we can know, some of it's through our recurrent symptoms. Are you stuck only feeling anxious? We're not actually genetically stuck in a feeling as humans. We can return to a baseline. Many of us can't though, based on our earliest experiences. So for some of us, It's that cyclical experience of maybe the same type of thought, the same type of feeling. It might be in those cyclical experiences of relationships that we can't seem to break. Anytime we're struggling to create change, even if we kind of know better or can see a different future based on a different choice, usually is an indicator that something deeper is preventing us from doing that. It's a good place to dive in and and to look um, at what comes up. Of course. And I think a good thing for people to know is like, like how, what's your life like right now? Are you, how are your relationships? Are your relationships good? Are you feeling good about the person you're with? Are you feeling like you're seen, you're heard, you're valued? Are you feeling the same way at work? Are you feeling that way in your personal life? How are you taking care of your body? Do you find yourself being able to have deep intellectual conversations with people that may not share the same views as you? Are you emotionally reactive? Because that's a pretty good place to start is self-awareness, right? I think a lot of people are listening. It's like, all right, all right, get to the point. Like, how do I rewire my thinking? And it's not as simple as going from A to Z, which is why I love the way you laid out your book where you, you layer it in steps pretty much. It starts with the self and becoming self-aware and then the body and then the ego. And then you talk about interdependence at the end. And, and it's just, it's the way it is. It's, it's got to be layered. In order to know where you're going, you have to figure out where you're at. There's no way to know where you're at until you can develop some sense of self-awareness into where all this is coming from, because you can try to keep putting the bandaid on the problem all you want. And that's what we do, right? In our societies, we're very, very reactive instead of proactive. So what are some ways that people can take a couple steps to become more self-aware that you talk about in your book so that they can start to get on that healing path, that healing journey and start to rewire some of these unhealthy habits? I'm smiling, so I'm appreciating you, Doug, being the bearer of that bad news, because a lot (laughs) of us very humanly, right, we want to, especially as we become more aware, maybe we do know the thing that hurt us in our past, 
we want to go in, tinker it, right? Fix it up, sew it up and be better. And again, I'm always the person who's saying, well, wait a minute, right? There's some foundational practices that we have to put in place first. So I well, think, I think I, well, of course, when I look at it from like a fitness background, if it's like somebody who wants to say lose 20, they need, they need to lose 20 pounds. And if they take this pill, they'll lose 20 pounds and it'll get rid of the problem, but it's not going to address the underlying issues and create new habits. So this is why it really relates to me. Absolutely. So the, the foundation that we want to build is in a practice of consciousness. We want to how to learn for many of us, a new practice of teaching ourselves how to be present. So in the context of this conversation, how to be present to our physical body, how to be in it, how to identify what its needs are and how it feels once we attempt to meet those needs. And so many of us are so disconnected from our physical self, from our conscious awareness, that we need to start there. We need to learn how to practice being conscious to ourselves or being in a position, like you very beautifully put it, to observe ourselves. And that can begin with just watching the habits, right? So in the context of health, what are your daily health habits? How much do you sleep? You might be surprised. A lot of us think we sleep way more than we do, right? In terms of eating, how connected are you to your body's cues of hunger or to satisfaction? Do you know what makes your body feel good when you eat it versus feel bad? The answer to a lot of these questions for many of us is, I don't know. It was yeah. for me. So foundation of consciousness, learning how to be truly in our bodies is the first step. And for many of us, it's the long-term practice. We have to learn moment to moment how to be present in our bodies so that over time we can continue to meet its ever-changing needs. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier about the, the pole or the top of the mail in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to call it my utopian <laughs> And what I came to realize is while I so desperately wanted it, there was a flaw in my plan. Because once I got to the top of the mountain, I knew that mountain, right? What happens when the mountain changes? I'm yeah. only 38. Hopefully I have many more years. I don't know what 48 in this body looks and feels like or 58 or 78, right? So this idea of done, I just want to squash. Very upset. It was very devastating when I realized I had to do it for myself because I know that humans change, our bodies change as we age. So the empowerment we want to develop really is inside so that we can learn, as you again, very beautifully put it earlier, how to navigate our body's ever-changing needs as it ages, for instance. You're right. And I think with the healing journey and the utopian analogy you use, it's spot on. Because if you think about one of the most important things I think for people to heal any part of their healing journey is to embrace the discomfort. And know it's going to be hard in order to get on the other side of the fence when it comes to healing that next step, it's going to be tough. It's going to be challenging. There's some discomfort in that, but there's also a lot of discomfort not doing anything and just sitting there and continuing to be miserable in your life. And so as you continue to challenge yourself and get in different circles of people, maybe once you get to a point in your healing journey, you get confident enough to start a business. Maybe you start to share your story on Instagram. There's going to be a whole new level of challenges that you're faced that you might creep back up on you that you thought maybe you had addressed. But I think the thing that's important to remember is if you're self-aware enough at this point and you've been practicing this, you'll know that if you're feeling off or something's bothering you, which in itself is not when winning the game, if you will, because you're like, you know what? You know what? I'm self-aware to know that this right now is really uncomfortable. I know why it's uncomfortable and here's how I'm going to move forward versus before when you were just getting started, when anyone's just getting started, they're just in that continual rat race and they have no idea why they're feeling this way. They have no idea why relationship after relationship keeps failing. They have no idea why they become emotionally charged after having a tough conversation. They have no idea. They just think that's the way they are. 
And you beautifully said it in your book that your biology is not your destination. And I think in a world where people, they're just like, that's just the way it is. It's my genetics, my DNA. People are proving time and time again that it's not true. I've proved it with my own journey. You've proved it. And we can, we can pull up example after example of how people have been able to take the dark parts of their story, work on themselves, and then use it as a guiding light for other people. And I think one of the core foundations you teach on in your book and in your practice is this notion of belief and how important it is to really believe in yourself when it comes to your healing journey. And I think there's a lot of people right now, just given the times that we're in and people who are beginning to maybe want to start their healing journey that just don't believe in themselves. They're defeated, they're hopeless, they're completely lost. So what are some ways that people can cultivate belief in themselves so that they can get back on the right foot in their life? I couldn't agree more. I, I truly believe that we have at quite epidemic levels, you know, waverings in self-belief, deepening into the even of a lot of humans really resonating with feelings of unworthiness at our core. And I think there are many ways and many habits and behaviors that we were modeled and that we continue to repeat in our own life that further confirm that. And I'm using that word very intentionally because in my book, you'll read what I believe a belief is. And what a belief is, in my opinion, is what it originated as, let's go back in time, is a thought. A thought that became practiced over time and that over time, based on our lived experiences, which often triggers the thought and, and to begin with, becomes confirmed by the things that we experience. Now, here's the thing that we don't know about why this is the case. We actually have a part of our brain that is called the reticular activating system. And we are so grateful for this part of our brain because it actually helps us to navigate the completely overwhelming amount of stimuli that's available to us at any given moment. Meaning there's too much happening in the world at any given time for us to pay attention to all of it. So we have a filter built into our brain called the reticular activating system that decides for us what is relevant to our experience and what isn't. And all that is not relevant, we essentially delete it. We don't see it per se. So what begins as a practice thought and an actual experience we have activates that filter. And then so if we're using the example of unworthiness, if I lived in a, in a family environment or have had things happen around me that led to that idea that I'm unworthy, if that happens consistently enough, my reticular activating system now is going to continue to confirm that. So in any given moment, I could have an example of how worthy I am in the world and how unworthy I am. And what my reticular activating system is going to do is going to delete that which doesn't make sense for me. I'm not worthy. I'm unworthy. And I'm only going to continue to strengthen my belief. So yes, beliefs are so important and so impactful in how we experience and how we perceive our day-to-day -day happenings. And for a lot of us, they're so internalized. We're trying to counter that belief of unworthiness is very difficult because unbeknownst to us, all we've been practicing is the contrary, is how unworthy we are. However, so much change can happen. So as we begin to identify, and I take us through exercises in the book where we can begin to identify some of the core beliefs that affect many of us, awareness, like you said very beautifully earlier, is the first step, really understanding the beliefs that continue to affect us, and then over time to begin to modify those so that somewhere down the line, 
I can begin to internalize a new idea about myself. Yeah. And I think there's a lot to be said for what you said in the book. And it, you say, you know, something along the lines that I don't remember verbatim, but we think we know what we, our beliefs are, but do we really know what they are? But it's like, cause we can say we know what we believe, but subconsciously might be a different story. Yeah. And I think that's at the root of everything is knowing that whatever it is, 90, 95% of our thoughts, our habits, our behaviors, et cetera, are, you know, revealed through our subconscious. And so consciously you can say, yeah, I believe I'm a great person. I believe I'm going to do amazing things. I believe I'm a good partner. You can say that consciously, but are your actions constantly reflecting that? Are you seeing yourself self-sabotage? Are you seeing yourself being afraid to speak up for yourself? Are you seeing yourself overdoing it at work? Because that's a byproduct of the lack of belief that you have in yourself, if you will, or the lack of self-awareness that's in your self-conscious. And there's probably people that I'm sure that are listening to this, or maybe they have people in their life that are saying, people just need to put their past in their past and forget about their childhood, right? We've, we've heard that before. And I think part of that is, I guess, a little bit true in the sense that you can't just continue to harp on your childhood and your past in a way that brings you down. You have to figure out, okay, like, what's my belief about this? Gain some self-awareness and then take action on how you can improve it. But why is it so, so important for people when they're experiencing discomfort or unhealthy patterns and behaviors in, in their world today to go back to their childhood specifically and not to just like last week, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's so important because chances are you're repeating that mm. childhood. So I'm a, a great example. And I talk about myself often because I have very limited memory of my childhood. As some of us can play the movie screen, remember what holidays were like day in and day out. I have very minimal of that. So with that said, and I, when I speak about this, it does resonate because a lot of us lack memories for many different reasons. And when I speak about it, the question that often follows, right, is, okay, so I'm a perfect example. I can't really remember. I don't really have access to them. So what does it matter in my life? How important is it? And my response is always some version of the same, which is to acknowledge, even if you don't have the memory, even if I can't see what happened, chances are I'm living it mm -hmm. in the way that I navigate that feeling or that conflict in my relationship. Because if a lot of us look back, we see that same pattern. We see the same explosion outward when I have that feeling and or if you're like me, the disconnection or dissociation around it. We see the same patterning. So our childhood, whether or not we can recall it, want to recall it, for a lot of us, it is a painful experience to go back there, which is a large reason why we avoid it. Yeah. We're living it. So mm. what we can see now in our day to day for many of us is evidence of what happened back then and how we coped with it. And then that creates the opportunity in adulthood, acknowledging that we're limited when we're in childhood. Some of us found ourselves in very unhelpful, unsupportive environments that might be drastically different now. So now in that old space where I used to do that old thing that maybe has its consequences that I've now learned because I've done it year after year after year, I can create a new habit where I cope in a new way. But in my opinion, that repetitive nature, that old way of being likely is still alive in us now. You're right. And I think as we alluded to earlier, it's never truly going to go away. I mean, I think what's going to change and go away is perhaps the way we dealt with that, those patterns and those behaviors. And we can become uh, more conscious of the way we're acting on a day-to-day -day basis, more self-aware, and we can take 
proactive action to enhance the way that we feel about ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So we dove in a bit about self-awareness and the importance of becoming self-aware about our belief system, about maybe some patterns we had as a child. What is a good like, like next step? So say somebody's like, all right, I've, I've identified some patterns. I am aware of where this all came from. What's the next step where someone can maybe move the ball a little bit further? So going back to something we touched on earlier, right? This idea that we don't like change as humans, yeah. we don't like to do new things. So what happens next? And my, my number one suggestion for what happens next, because chances are the more aware we become, the more we assess ourselves in all of these areas, more often than not, we have a list of new <laughs> things, right? It's not just one. Yeah. So here's where I tell you, anything new is going to challenge that homeostatic impulse, that desire mm -hmm. to be back in that familiar so whatever it is that happens next, take a look at your list, right? Prioritize. Possibly for some of us, it's the easiest thing to change, right? The thing that doesn't make my stomach drop out when I think of doing that new thing. Start maybe at the easiest thing. Others might want to pick the most impactful thing, the thing that comes up day in and day out. And if change happened in this area, I'd feel so relieved. However, my suggestion remains the same. Pick one thing. Pick one thing and set what I call a small daily promise each and every day to keep that one promise. Break it down until it's almost so small that you want to roll your eyes at yourself and convince yourself you're not even doing anything. Make that promise so small because what's most important are two things. The consistent keeping of that promise. I think you and I now agree. It's yeah. really about lifestyle change, right? Doing it more often than not to really create the impact, right? So we want to be able to consistently keep that promise. And in doing that, the deeper thing that we're doing is we're reversing what is for many of us, that pattern that we talked about earlier of not serving our needs. I call it a pattern of self-betrayal. The empowerment of witnessing myself now day in and day out, no matter how small it is, keeping my intention to myself, keeping my word, that's, I believe, how we create empowerment. Because over time, now I have a little seat of confidence. I'm not that person who, yeah, sure, you're going to do that thing. You'll do it for two weeks. I'm now a person who's done that thing for two months, whatever thing it is. It's less important about what we're picking. It's more important, in, I, in my opinion, the process. So whatever the list is, break it down, make the, the one promise so small and practice keeping it every day. You're so right. And I, and I relate it back to fitness. If I had a client that says, I want to lose hundred pounds, I would never say, yeah, just drop all the weight tomorrow. It's the same thing if someone, maybe they have a hundred pounds of mental or emotional weight they have to lose, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But in order to do it, you want to try to lose a couple pounds a week. You don't want to try to lose a hundred pounds of mental weight all at once. So I invite you to take that advice from Nicole and say you have a list of like 10 to 15 things that you become self-aware. Maybe it's like the, the ego stories that you've been telling yourself, which I know Nicole talks about in the book, or maybe it's some trauma bonds you have, which she goes into or relationships or belief about yourself that you're not like, all right, I'm going to go tackle this all tomorrow because you're going to get very overwhelmed very quickly. And I think you're going to end up realizing that you can't do it all at once. It takes a lot of uh, emotional energy and mental energy to do work. And that's why I think it's important to give yourself grace, have some sense of forgiveness and knowing it's not going to be easy. It's not, yeah. but it's definitely going to be worth it. And it's definitely going to allow you to move further in your life. And I think one of the things that people have trouble with 
when they're on their journey is setting boundaries, right? And I've heard you talk about this beautifully in your book, how actually everything came back full circle for you. You had to put the ultimate boundary up with your family, which I'm sure was incredibly hard to do, but it allowed you to create a safe space for yourself to do the work on you, take responsibility for your side of the street and figure out who you were and have healthy boundaries and a healthy sense of self so that you could come back around and say, this is you know who I am now and this is what I'm standing for and having a healthy interdependence, I think you call it, with your family. So one of the things, going back to my original point is people when they're healing, they're, they, have a, they have trouble saying no to people. Maybe it's uh, certain friends they had in their lives, certain family members or uh, certain places they go. So what advice do you have for people starting to set boundaries and what are some simple ways they can do it so it doesn't seem like they're threatening somebody or it's an ultimatum. It's more just a healthy place of where they stand and where they're headed to. Yeah, as far as I see it, um, boundaries. So I just want to be clear, boundaries is not a word I ever learned in my personal life. I actually came to realize I had none. Um, And it's definitely not anything that was really talked about in my clinical work. So I didn't come by boundaries until I really began to look at my patterns and relationships. And what I came to realize how I discovered I had no boundaries is because I had everything I filtered through other people, Mm. right? I never really stopped to define myself, whether it was my physical needs of my body, my emotional needs, or my spiritual needs. And that's what a boundary is. It's a separation between me and you, which allows on the back end, because I believe that our goal as humans or our species in general is interpersonal. We're actually wired to be in relationships with other people. Mm -hmm. However, most of us need a level of separation so that we can safely identify and define and begin to meet our own needs so that when we're showing up to our relationships, we're showing up as our whole self our authentic self. So I know when I speak of boundaries at times, sometimes I get misinterpreted to mean I'm my own island, right? Stay away from me, humans. I believe that boundaries create safety so that when I show up to my relationships, again, like you very beautifully put it, I'm showing up authentically and wholly. So the way we want to begin to work with boundaries in our life is to explore, to notice how it is for us in relationships, specifically around our needs. Do I feel like I'm able to honor, again, my physical, my spiritual, my emotional body in the context of relating to this other human? Or are you like me? Are those boundaries blurred? Are you filtering everything through like the caregiver in me, what you need as opposed to what I need, even when my needs are different in that moment than what you need me to do, et cetera. So the first process is as always exploring. Being really honest with ourselves and our relationships and how they make us feel and how much space we feel we have for ourselves. And then, of course, it gets very individual, this next stage of the journey, beginning to define new limits in places that can maybe make my body feel a little more physically safe in the presence of this other human or all other humans. Similar emotionally, how can I learn to meet my own emotional needs? So to be clear, boundaries are separation. They allow us to create safety so that we can more authentically honor our physical, spiritual, and emotional niche, which then set us up to authentically show up for our relationships. That's what a relationship is. When I am a full, authentic human that might be different than you in many ways, and there's space for us both. Yeah. 
you said that incredibly well. And I think boundaries are also important for ourselves. Like what boundaries are we setting for the way we show up in relationships and how we treat people? Or I know you talk about like emotionally dumping, right? Are we always the person that's calling to vent and dump? How are we setting boundaries when it comes to our physical health? How are we setting boundaries in our day-to-day practices and what we're doing? And I think it's important to cultivate and develop them and then know that the hardest part is holding them, right? It's easy to write a list of what you want to do. I can just sit here and say, okay, I want to you know, go to bed by nine o'clock, not take work calls after five, not answer my email before 8 a.m. The hard part is when I get an email at 7.30 and if I wake up, do I want to answer it? Right now, one of the things I'm trying to do for 2021 is limit social media time. I mean, not go on it, but I'm like, all right, the pandemic and just for everything I'm doing with work, I've been on it so much that I'm like, wow, I really need to take a step back and be on it less. Is it hard? Yes. I'm finding myself being very challenged and and being like, gosh, I said I wanted to do this. But I think the difference between myself now, I mean, myself 10 years ago with this is I would not even know what was going on. I would just keep doing it and not even say anything to myself. And now I'm kind of checking myself and saying, okay, how can I start to tell myself a different story? Because the one thing that I'm comfortable with now is, is checking my ego. And you talk a lot about the ego. The ego is thrown around a lot these days, right? And a lot of people, when they hear the word ego, they don't want to talk about it because they think of the, the word egotistical, mm-hmm. right? Which I think resembles some form of arrogance when in the ego, in my experience and correct me if I'm wrong, its job is to protect your identity in a way. Mm -hmm. So how do you define ego and how can somebody do some proactive work to to check their ego and be more self-aware of maybe the stories that their ego is telling themselves? I really appreciate you clarifying, Doug, because I do see ego getting thrown around hand in hand with this idea of narcissists and all about me. My simple definition of ego is the story about ourselves, mm-hmm. everything that we imagine us ourselves to be. Are we the shy person? Are we the person who excels in this way? At most things that come after when you hear that little voice in your head, we are self-narrating all day long. We're narrating our own experiences. We're imagining what other people are saying or thinking about us. There's a lot going on in our minds in any given moment. And as we begin to tune in um, to those voices, we begin to hear a lot of stories about ourselves, about who we imagine us to be. And again, for the most part, most of these stories are based in actual things that have happened at a time. However, a lot of us, we don't, we never update the things that have happened to us and the stories that we're rehearsing, possibly even the beliefs about ourselves might never have been our own or might've been impacted by an experience that is now not what we live on the day to day. However, that voice in our head, coming. It's another subconscious filter. Let's talk about it in terms of the RAS that we already just discussed, right? We filter the world through the story of us. And then before we know it, we're so locked in who we think we are, often to the disservice of the rest of who we are. So again, as all things, awareness, tuning in. First, uh, a groundbreaking awareness, I think for a lot of us, no jokes aside, me included, is how much we're thinking all day long. And how much we're filtering the world through our thoughts. So once you realize that, then we could really get curious. Okay, well, what are the themes in my thoughts? You'll start to realize, don't believe me, look at your own mind, listen to your own narratives. We are quite repetitive. 
and we stay around the same narrative themes. And anytime we're narrating who we think we are, we can really begin to call that into question and to begin to explore whether or not that story still fits or whether or not we've given ourselves some new experiences or, or can begin to give ourselves some new experiences to begin to create a new story. 100%. And I think it's important for people who are listening to this to know that this is why I think it's so important in the way you layered your book and that ego isn't like the first thing you talked about. Reparenting isn't the first thing you talked about. Inner child, it was belief, mm. like was one of the first things you talked about. Because I believe that if you believe that you are loved, that you believe you are enough, that you believe you are going to get through amazing things, it checks your ego a lot because you don't have that a big, as big of a fear of feeling, maybe you don't feel it like less than you don't feel that someone's better than you. You don't feel like you're going to fail. You don't feel like you're not going to go anywhere in life because you've established this deep self-awareness about the belief of who you truly are. So it kind of, it lowers the ego's ability to kind of have a negative impact in your life. Not saying that it won't, because like you said, it's going to always be there. But I think you have the self-awareness to know that it's your ego talking and not who you truly are. I know you make, there's like references you make in the book when you start to become more conscious of your thoughts that you're realizing that who was talking before was your self-subconscious. It wasn't who you truly are or something like that. I mean, I could be getting that a little bit wrong, but, and I think it's important for people to remember that the more they establish who they are as a person and do the work and establish values, beliefs, and belief in themselves it's not going to matter as much what the next person's doing, or you're not going to be afraid to share your story because you're so you know, confident in who you are as a person. And I think people need to really remember that even if they have um, this sense of fear of failing or this sense of not knowing if they're good enough or this sense of whether they put something out in the world, it's normal to have that fear. And I think the way you get through it is knowing that what I'm confident with who I am. This is really scary to do. And I'm going to get through it because I believe enough in myself. I mean, did I, was I spot on with that? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no. Yeah, that was absolutely beautiful. And, and I can go as far to say is that we, I think quite universally, all desperately want to be seen. Yeah. And when we talk about being seen in our authenticity or in our fullness, again, I'm going to venture not to speak for the whole collective. I have the idea that that's very unfamiliar for many yeah. of us. More often than not, we're used to showing half of ourselves or this mm. mask or that role. Yeah. So when we talk about as desperately, so for me, all of this maps out on social media. I had no awareness of how the platform would, would take off. I understand that, well, the way I understand it now is what I'm speaking about is quite universally resonating with people. So there you go. However, I have a deep part of me that as much as I desperately want to be seen for who I am and the thoughts I have and the work that I do, on the other side of that is so much fear because I'm not used to it. I'm used to filtering everything I say, everything I do through the needs of everyone else around me. So again, I think that I love that you're bringing this up because as we begin to step into who we are, again, I think quite universally, it's unfamiliar. We're so not used to it. And with the unfamiliar, like we've kind of talked about all full circle comes discomfort. It is scary to do that. You're right. And I think with so many people trying to heal and trying to grow emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and physically, they want to share it. They want to share what they've accomplished. They want to share their hardships. They want to share what's worked for them, which is what you've built your brand off of. I think everything why you've created such an authentic following is because it started with 
everything that you've done to heal yourself and you're very open with your journey. And it does two things when you're open and you're a hundred percent who you are when you share. Number one, it disempowers the quote unquote shadow of yourself and negative. If you're talking about like something you're not proud of. Like, so for me as an example, I might not be proud of the fact that I was incarcerated on felony drug charges. I might not be proud of the fact that I sold drugs or did copious amounts of drugs. I'm not necessarily proud of that. Do I regret it? No, because it taught me a lot and I wouldn't be where I am today without it. But it's, it takes the power away from that, knowing that if people are going to judge me based on my past, they're not meant to be in my life. And not saying that I don't like those people. I just know that where I'm going on my journey, that people that are meant to come alongside of me aren't going to judge me for being authentic. And that's what I think people need to, to remember. And the other thing it does is you gain this super, this deep sense of power when you share and you feel like you're being heard and seen and you get that message from somebody on social media or you get an email or you run into somebody at the store and says, hey, like, thank you so much for sharing what you shared. You inspired me. Like, where did you find that out? How did you learn how to do that? And that's how you start a movement. That's how you start to cultivate and develop purpose, which I think we all want in life. We all want meaning. We all want security. We all want community. And the way you have to, the way to get there starts with you. It starts with this whole self-healing, which is why I think it's extremely important for people looking to do some work on themselves to know that no one's going to save you. No one's going to fix you. The only person that is, is you. And we've all had unfortunate things that's happened to us on to some degree. And some have had it obviously way worse. Some have had it better. But I think the common theme is it's on us to move forward and do the things necessary for ourselves so that we can show up better for the world. And I want to kind of end the conversation with something real time now that I think another word that gets thrown around a lot is the word trigger. Like you triggered me or I'm triggered. And I think my understanding, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's when you're triggered, it's kind of a exacerbated feeling or emotion in relation to what's presently going on. That's caused by something deeper. Like if I, if for some reason, if somebody says they're going to call me, and I'm just making this up as an example. If somebody says they're going to call me, they don't call me and I get triggered and I get upset and I get anxious. It's my f- intense feelings aren't directly related to this circumstance. It's more that maybe something in my childhood, maybe somebody said they would pick me up and never showed up. Maybe somebody said they would take me somewhere and never showed up. And that's where it's coming from. Am I correct? Yes. I actually have chills thinking about it because it is a big reaction and I want to kind of acknowledge and honor the realness of it because I think a lot of times when that word gets thrown around it can sometimes be heard as an invalidation oh you're just triggered get over it it's crazy reaction I want to honor that it's real that did come from somewhere possibly from that time you were left or felt similarly in the past or disempowered xyz Mm -hmm. the list goes on it's real however the goal in life now is to become aware and to shift right? How we navigate those moments of activation, because even just knowing that that thing triggers me doesn't, like we said earlier, change it. That's in my subconscious. The next time that thing happens, I'm off to that race of whatever it is I do every time that thing happens. So this is where we want to cultivate a new relationship with the very real energies and feelings and hormones that then get activated when we're quote unquote triggered. You're right. And I think it's important for people to to know that when they're experiencing this, yeah, it's definitely real. And the more self-awareness you practice and the further along you are on your healing journey, you'll be able to know better like where it's coming from, I think. You'll be able to quickly realize, oh, this is because of X, Y, and Z. 
now I can work on the solution. And the solution is some self-soothing practices, breath work, meditation, going for a run, doing exercise. And then you can kind of, the pain subsides and then you kind of move on. And then what happens? You gain confidence because you're like, wow, I didn't snap or I didn't, tur- I didn't go for a drink or I didn't go and emotionally dump on someone. I actually took the power back and acknowledge that what I was going through and then move through it in a healthy way. And then what happens? Now you create new neuropathways, you create new patterns, new habits. And then if you yeah. do that over time, you'll look back and you won't even realize it as much that you're being triggered. You'll just be like, oh, that that upset me. And then you just yeah. kind of, you go and do something and you, you change your mind and, and it happens. And so I, I want to kind of close with this before I ask you my last question is that I cannot emphasize enough and just echoing what Nicole said, the importance of working on yourself first and doing things um, the right way, meaning like not trying to solve a lifetime problem in a matter of seconds or in a matter of days or in a matter of weeks. It's going to be a journey. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be some difficulties. There's going to be a lot of challenges. It's going to be hard, but it's going to be so worth it. And if anyone's going to do it, it's got to be up to you. And I invite people that if they are in therapy, that to obviously continue to stay in therapy, but, that, but adopt some other practices in your daily rituals that will help you navigate this storm of healing because it's not something that's easy. And at the same time, the growth that comes from it is insurmountable. You cannot put a dollar amount on the feelings and the relationships and the, the pride, if you will, that comes from doing the work and owning your stuff and saying, you know what, I'm not proud of some of the stuff I've done, or I'm not proud of the way someone's treated me, but I'm proud of the way I'm handling it now. Yeah. Yeah. I think at our core, us humans are what I call agenic beings. We like choice. We want choice. And when we don't feel we have choice, as many of us don't, because we're living from that subconscious autopilot that is dictating our choices, disempowerment is really deeply uncomfortable. So even if the choices that we continue to make are difficult as we journey about the rest of our lives, knowing that we have a say is everything, I believe, for us humans. That empowerment piece is is what this journey is about, regardless of the pathway that got us here and the pathway that will continue um, to walk as we continue to heal. I think at our core, when we begin to internalize that feeling of empowerment, which starts very small and then grows, that's what my ultimate goal here is. 100%. And I think we're human beings. We're always trying to figure things out. We we want control. But I think what happens so many times is we feel that it's just the way we are, or we don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And then once we realize like, wow, I can actually start to control this. I can move the pendulum in the other direction. Now I can take some action. And there's this sense of like a big sense of relief, like what I felt. And I'm sure that many of the people in your community have felt that like, wow, like I can do this. I can get better. I can actually live a life that I'm happy with. So you got the the book coming out, How to Do the Work, that comes out, I believe, in March. People can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, like all where books are sold. 
all the things, all the things. It's on pre-sale now, so you can put in order and pre-order and it will be released and delivered March 9th. There is an Audible. I'm actually headed into the studio next week. Nice. Um, so it will be my voice. Anyone who, who likes to listen to books will be have yours truly reading it. So I'm not sh- exactly sure on the release date on that, but yeah, Barnes & Noble, Amazon. I have an independent in my link tree. Anyone who follows me on social media or who wants to begin to follow me on social media, .holistic.psychologist can find all the links, even international. A handful of international publishers picked up the book, which really excitingly means it'll be in their native tongue. So anyone who's listening international, definitely jump in that link tree and you can probably grab a version that you can understand a bit better. (laughs) Amazing. And I just wanted to really thank you for your time today. You developed a ton of value for the audience and for myself, um, just on this whole notion of healing, self-healing and the importance of taking a whole approach to it. It's not, there's different spokes of the wheel, right? You have to kind of fit all the spokes to make sure it runs smoothly. You can't just have one part. It's just, it's got to flow with everything else. Like you can't just do therapy. You can't just work out. You can't just meditate. It's an all encompassing approach. You got to do it all for it to run smoothly. And I invite people that are listening to this to not only go and buy Nicole's book in whatever format, how you digest your information, but you take a screenshot of this episode with like a big takeaway. Maybe it was something Nicole shared about her journey. Maybe it was a tip or a tactic she shared as far as developing self-awareness or figuring out maybe a pattern that you've been stuck in or any other type of of practice that she shared because we love hearing feedback from y'all and hopefully you got a lot out of this episode. And I once again, uh, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.